Welcome everybody to Boxes and Lines. This is podcast number three, or as my Irish brethren would say, three. And we have <laughs> we have John Ramsey here as always. John, Hello, thank you. I'm trying to sound less tinny. First, the first one running said that I sounded tinny, so I'm trying to lower my voice. He got a lot of feedback that he needs yeah. to speak up. Mm-hmm. And then we have an esteemed guest here, Doug Sifu, the CEO of Virtu Financial. Hello, guys. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you, AKA uh, Dougie Large in Twitterverse, and he said he'd explain to the yeah. entire industry now. I'm a transparent guy. I believe in transparency. So nice. In my prior life, I was a lawyer, as you guys probably know. Mm-hmm. And I had a client named Carl Kenai. Uh, I used to, believe it or not, I know you'll laugh about this, I used to actually be a fashion lawyer, <laughs> which I find kind of amusing. That's if you look at what I'm wearing right now, representing yeah. Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, don't tell. Uh-huh. My wife is the only person who really knows that. <laughs> Anyhow, Carl was this uh, designer. He designed like urban wear, that kind of stuff. We used to hang out. I went out. He was out in LA, so I would hang out with him, and I would hang out with him and his crew. And actually, I met Tupac Shakur one time, which is pretty cool. Nice. And he started calling me Dougie Large, the man in charge. That was like my <laughs> name, my crew name. Tupac did? Mm-hmm. No, Carl did. Yeah. Even cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tupac was, and I met Snoop too. That was nice. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my only connection to anything cool in life. My children don't believe this story. And anyhow, <laughs> so when I decided I was going to go on Twitter, this is before Virtu and before the hockey thing. I said, what's a good name? I was like, all right, Dougie Large, because it's a kind of play on my physical appearance as uh-huh. well. I'm a larger uh-huh. guy. And I thought it was kind of a cool name. Now that I am <laughs> involved with the hockey team and I'm the CEO of a public company, it's kind of embarrassing. Well, I think it's awesome. But I can't change it. No, no, no right. you definitely can't change it now. Okay. I mean, everybody knows you that, but it's kind of like self-deprecating. It's nice. It's yeah. Kind of like it's a, it's a, yeah. It's I actually didn't think it was self-deprecating. I never mind. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool. Mind. So Carl, yeah. if you're listening cool. to this, thank you for my one brush with, yeah. with Cooldom. But I was going to yeah. ask about the lawyer thing too, because I don't know if everybody knows you had a very long, successful legal career before you made this pivot. And I'm really interested in people who, number one, because I think that Brendan often doesn't appreciate the fact that my uh, legal background and experience sort of all that brings to the table. So um, no, I, I, really, I really do, John. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh But uh, so what? Um, what caused you to make that change? Yeah. Well, it wasn't. But per se intentional. I was a, a lawyer. I have had two jobs in my life, well, three if you count. My career as an ice cream guy at Carvel in high school, probably my favorite job. But then I went to law school and I was a summer associate and associate and then a partner at a law firm called Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, yeah. which is a big global law firm. And I was a corporate lawyer. And yeah, as you said, made partner, had a pretty nice practice. I was a private equity primarily lawyer after my fashion thing didn't didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. And so I started representing a firm called General Atlantic Partners, which is a big private equity firm. They coincidentally started in the late 90s, early 2000s, John, you'll remember this, making a lot of investments in what I'll call market structure companies. Mm-hmm. So Archipelago, BMF down in Brazil. We looked at a bunch of things, ironically, Gecko, which I'm now the CEO of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the investments that they made was the New York Mercantile Exchange in 2005, before it went public. So the idea was to sort of take that motley group of you know people and turn it into a functioning public company. And so we did the transaction. The chairman at the time, and kind of the larger-than-life character was a guy named Vinny Viola, mm-hmm. right? And so Vinny, who's my partner that I started the first name, that's a good There name. you go. So Vinny was, uh, you know, fashion forward, prescient enough to realize that the notion of these trading rings were just going to go to the way of the dodo bird. And so he engaged in this process with General Atlantic and was really like a master uh, and was the larger than life figure on the other side of the table. I got to know him a little bit and then, you know, uh, scrolling forward when the transaction closed, 
he had the need for a lawyer for something unrelated to the investment, and he called Bill Ford, the CEO of John Atlantic, and said, who was that loud enough guy on the other side of the table <laughs> represent you? If he's good enough to represent you, I should give him a tryout. So the moral of the story is don't be a schmuck. Always be nice to people on the other side. I try to not be too much of a schmuck to people I don't know, uh, because you never know where it takes you in life. But I was a very happy, successful lawyer. I started then to represent Vinny in his personal capacity. He had a company called Madison Tyler, which is yep. kind of the predecessor to Virtu. He had some issues with his partner, and when you represent a person as opposed to an entity, you either get to know them really well and, you, and it mm -hmm. goes great or it doesn't. Well, in my case, thankfully, it went really well. And at the end of that process, uh, and he got a good result, he said, you know, I'll try to, I, he told me I can't curse, so I won't, I'll paraphrase uh, what he yeah, said. You can certainly curse here. Okay, yeah. so my children are listening, I, they've yeah. never heard yeah. me say this before, but he said, you're wasting your fucking time being a lawyer, you're a great businessman. <laughs> Why don't you start this company, which is today Virtu? I'll make you feel better. Shut the fuck up, Randy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how I got into this, and then he believed in me. I didn't know a bid from an offer. When we first started Virtu, I would write down the all the futures, what months were they were, and what the symbols were. I couldn't remember eSpeed from EBS. I was clueless, uh, and so I just, you know, that's how I got started. That's funny. My first day working for Brad at RBC, I went into his office and asked him what crossing the spread meant. Yeah, and I could see visibly in his eyes, like, what in the name of Christ did they just what, hire yeah, you? Who was this guy? I yeah. grew pretty proficient in the use of Google. Yeah. In, in any case, we have a few topics we want to cover today, market structure related. Yeah. Um, but we'd love just to give you a question I'd like to ask you first is now you're the CEO of what was once, you know, a high frequency trading firm right. and you took over a wholesaling firm with an agency business. And now you just acquired, well, in the past year, ITG, which has a big agency business and a TCA business. You, you have a lot of stuff. Your institutional business continues to grow. And right. anything you'd like to tell us about that, would, I think all our listeners would be very interested. Yeah, in I mean, the 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 idea behind Virtu, the original firm, was uh, to build a scaled financial technology firm that was a market maker. Yep. But really at its core, we're not a trading firm, per se, right? We didn't hire traders, we didn't take directional risk, you know, we tried really hard not to, we're really good around risk management. So we were a, a very scaled, very efficient uh, financial technology firm. And the idea was to take that DNA and bring it across asset classes and globally, right? We did that very, very successfully. I don't remember where we, you know, which countries you went to first, which asset class, it was always a little fuzzy in my head because it was kind of, it happened so rapidly. What's your favorite country you're in now? That's a plug. Well, that's a tough one. The United States or Ireland? Oh, Ireland. I'm a proud American, first and foremost, but I do love Dublin. <laughs> Me too. Yes, we have a great office uh, in the Docklands. I've been to the Ferryman very many times. It's nice. a great place. Not as good as the Harry Lemon. That's my favorite pub. I don't know that one. Really? Yeah, they have a picture you on the wall, don't lie. <laughs> I forgot where I was. Oh, so Virtu, yeah. 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 So we had this uh, scaled financial technology firm in 2012. You remember it was a firm called Knight Capital? Yeah. Yeah. It had 30 really great years and 30 horrific minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, we were invited in to do due diligence, and like, you know, the light bulb I see it over there kind of went off in my head when we started looking at Knight, like, wow, they have these great customer franchises. And I thought we could take what we had built in Virtu, the operating discipline, the financial technology, and we could apply that to an adjacent company that had customers in these franchises, but I thought was not run properly, candidly, and I thought that their financial technology was gonna be a little tired. That didn't actually happen until 2017, but we, I sort of put us on this path where we were gonna go public for the purpose of having a currency, because we didn't have one in 2013 when I wanted to buy Knight. And so Vinny and I sat and had this like strategic decision, like, hey, we can keep 
doing what we're doing at Virtu, or we can take what we have and we can apply it to these other businesses. I didn't think of IPG at the time, but that was the original conception. Right. And, and ITG was just, uh, when, like six months ago? Yeah, we uh, closed ITG on March 1st. The idea was once we bought Knight, you know, they had a market making business, but they also, as you said, had this very nice, but subscaled institutional yeah. business. Yeah. And again, I had this choice, do we get rid of that, sell that, or do we try to fix it and make it better and what, see, what, see what's up? Well, we fixed it and the response from the you know clients that we had at night was really terrific. And I thought, okay, well, we can apply this rigor around efficiency, financial technology, transparency around the product, really, really great, a really great algorithmic product. We can do that globally, we just don't have the scale. And then looking around ITG was the next natural company for us to tackle because it was a great, and it is a great institutional yeah. firm. It had global scale. Yeah. And on top of that, it had um, a whole host of like financial products. And all of those um, were nice and had a good following, but they were not optimized to be multi-asset class. Okay. Can I ask two questions? One, yeah. one might come off as a difficult question, not intended. Not some of you, I, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. I, won't, I won't even curse. Last week was yeah. National STA. Mm -hmm. And someone had brought up, I was on a panel with Matt, and someone had yeah. alluded to now that uh, Virtu owned the TCA business of ITG, yeah. are buy side firms okay with giving the data to a Virtu, a yeah. perceived you know, market maker? And Matt obviously said he's totally comfortable yeah. with it. And I was just curious if that's something you hear a lot and if that is like waning now six or yeah. seven no, it's, 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 a, it's a great yeah. and a very, very fair question. So uh, I think when we, we announced the transaction, there was uh, an uproar. I can say uh, truthfully that a lot of the noise was created by competitors and, yeah. and, and I would say just you know industry gadfly types yeah. that needed something to talk about. But there's very, very legitimate concerns that the buy side had. We're getting an entire day's trade block, right? Yeah. You know, 18 of the top 20 asset managers in the world give us, that's a commercial, give us their, uh, their trade blocks at the end of the day. And so uh, I actually, I'm a big, you know, glasses half full guy, so I wanted to turn a negative into a positive. So I used this as an opportunity for us to reach out. So we formed these, we call them client information security forums, where we, and I've done uh, these myself, right? Yeah. Where we invite, we do it by reason, and we have all of our customers there, either in person or on the phone. We go through all of the physical and virtual security barriers that we're gonna, that we have in place and our policies and procedures. So we give them all of the assurances, right, that we should reasonably give them, right? And we allow them to do complete due diligence. I'm a big believer in transparency, but we also use it then as an opportunity to explain what's the benefit, right? Now that you're married right. to a firm that is a great financial technology firm that's cross-asset, how are we gonna make your products better? So just two weeks ago, we announced, you know, a cross-asset class multi-asset class TCA, right? Our, our ACE product, which is our premier yeah. product, we're gonna look, that's now available in FX and fixed income. Why? Because the Virtu feed handlers, right? Market data feed handlers for FX, which we've spent an ungodly amount of money. You know, I think there's a lot of, you think there's a lot of market data inequities. <laughs> Imagine yeah. FX, right? Every time you turn your head, there's a new ECN. Yeah. That's now available to our analytics customers for the first time. Previously- are asking for that as much 100%. as they are in equities? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 100%, and that's really where the world's going, yep. right? It's both, every product we have, if you can provide a single solution, right, you're gonna, you're gonna win more mandates than not because the world's demanding that type of efficiency. Yep. Same thing with analytics. And so I think we're gonna be the winner in this because we have that capability. And I get that uh, there's, you know, there's definitely a concern. I've announced publicly, you know, we've, 
We haven't lost any meaningful clients. My apologies to the handful that we've <laughs> lost. And not, none of the name brand aspects. Yeah. But why? Because we've got that peer group, right? So if you're going to do TCA, you want a firm that knows what they're doing. But more importantly, you want to compare yourself to the right peer group. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's such a competitive business. you got to really try hard to distinguish yourself. And I think you kind of like answered my question, which is how do you in an environment where buy side firms in particular are under so much more cost pressure. Yeah, I, also John, I look at it like, I don't look at any of these products, maybe because I'm a bad CEO, I don't, know, I don't look at like what the margin of analytics is as compared to, obviously the market maker on a day with a lot of volatility can have a, an incredible margin, yeah. right? And analytics doesn't, right? Because it's, it's more people and it's more, it's almost a consulting business, if yeah. you will. But it's part of the, of the overall virtual offering, mm -hmm. right? So we can lead with analytics, particularly like in Europe, where there's this, you know, post method too, even beforehand, there's this real emphasis on best execution. We have clients that were first and foremost analytics customers. Now you can sell them a whole, a whole multitude of other products. So I look at analytics as like a key part of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to offer clients. And so now we have that opportunity to sell them. That's why cool. for the 14th time, analytics is not for sale. I'm not selling it. In fact, <laughs> I'm doing the opposite. I'm growing. Nice. Right. We, That's we, a not I, yeah. Yeah, there's no way in team. Uh, yes. That's a nice segue to something we wanted to talk about is a 606 reporting. Yeah, uh, 606, oh, let's we'll go. Get, yeah, I love 606. Yeah. We'll get there. I mean, that, that ties in with what we're saying on analytics, but that seems to be something that's getting kicked down the street a little bit, but I think it will be a regulation at some point. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, John knows more about this. Than well, we're getting in January, so you got to start uh, giving, I think, uh, reports on sort of like quarterly reports, uh, public reports in January, and then some point uh, down the road, uh, actual reports to your, your uh, institutional clients. Yes. But you obviously get reports to your institutional clients now. Yeah. Um, how much is what you uh, do gonna yeah. change because of the regulation? Zero. In fact, we give enhanced 606 disclosure and we'll continue to give it. It's actually part of one of the reasons I was excited about the institutional business because there was this um, concern out there around routing behaviors of brokers. Some of it was legitimate. And so when we started this business, even before we bought Knight, remember we, we, we had like a little nascent offering with our friends down in Baltimore, that kind of stuff, which they've talked about publicly. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, one of the, the natural things that we did, because I never worked at an agency broker, I didn't really understand the business at all, you know, and our algorithms are very, very transparent and very, very deterministic on the market making side, obviously. We use those on the institutional side. So we can say, okay, we routed this order here because this is exactly what the algorithm saw and why it routed. It's not routed because of a rebate or anything untoward. This is why it got routed there. So sometimes it routes the rebate venue, sometimes inverted, sometimes IEX, right? It's, it's going to use its business logic. And so we were always 100% transparent on a child level, right? Which I don't think any other broker was. We could literally show you and give you our slow motion replay machine. So when we built our institutional business, that's how we built it. Right, so it's like 606, you know, on speed, if you will, right? It's yeah. literally every single order we can show you, intention, result, intention, result. And if you wanna look at that on a microsecond level resolution, we'll show it to you. That's what got, you know, our friends down in Baltimore so excited the first time they came. And so I said, all right, that's what we're gonna do as a firm. We're gonna be 100% transparent about how we route orders. We're not gonna give you some flat file at the end of the day. We're gonna show you literally which venues we routed to and why. If you have questions as to why you were routed, um, we can explain them. I, I never stood, I'm a lawyer, right? As I explained before, like I'm the agent, you're the principal. If I can't explain to you my conduct and what I'm doing, you should fire me, mm -hmm. right?
right? So that's why like this stuff to me is just natural and kind of yeah. common sense. And I look at 606 and I say, well, that's already what we're doing. Of course the industry should do that. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, if you have 606 reports that actually line up and you can do apples to apples, then you can do some real TCA of your brokers, right? To see like, okay, where are people routing or what are they doing? And are they actually executing on your behalf in a manner that is consistent with their best execution obligations and actually provides value to you, right? So that's like right the sweet spot of virtue. That's why all this uh, movement, if you will, towards enhanced transparency is a positive from my perspective, but I think it's ultimately the right thing for the marketplace. We've always been about transparency and fairness in the marketplace. Well, that's our slogan, Doug. Is that right? Because Doug said the magic words yeah. that I was going to cross off when he said transparency and fairness in the market. So I'm going to present him with his very own yeah. uh, fancy socks with wow. the IEX. Rock, rock the socks. Rock the socks. Uh, Let's talk uh, the favorite topic of topics. Yeah, market data. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys have been great allies on this. We have, you know, we certainly yeah. have tried to distinguish ourselves uh, as an exchange and on this stuff. So the last thing you've spoken out, uh, you guys have spoken out about is the uh, the Mawa antenna. The New York yeah. Stock Exchange is putting this crazy antenna up, and they're not letting anybody else compete with putting in the antenna. So is, that, is there a point at which this, there's ever a logical end to this? Thank you. I mean, here's my thought. The exchange, getting back to the Vinny story, right? There was this thing called the trading floor, and it was a self-regulated mechanism, and obviously there were flaws in it. We all know them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there was a trading floor, and people sat around it, and they made their own rules, and they tried to be as fair as it could, and the members enforced those rules. And there was a physical neck to choke at and, times. Yeah, exactly, and you could enforce. Well, that trading floor is now you know, a, a warehouse in Carteret. There's one in Sea Caucus, or Sea Caucus, and then there's one up in Mawa. Okay, mm -hmm. so the trading floor has moved there. I look at what the exchanges are now running as those trading floors. Yeah. And it seemed to me the notion that somehow you could put somebody on the trading floor ahead of everybody else so they could read orders and you were selling that spot was anathema right. for the concept of what an exchange is supposed to be all about. Right. right. I don't want to be moralistic. I don't believe, I don't have religion in business, right? Like to me, it's just, let's make money. Let's yeah. all be fair to each mm -hmm. other. But at the end of the day, it just seemed fundamentally unfair. So when they approached us about it, like, hey, you can spend, I don't know, it was 15 or 20 grand a month to be on this tower, and they were sort of happy about it. I said, like, they've lost the, the plot here, <laughs> right? They've really lost the plot. Like, the notion that they're, they're providing this unique access, right? We can afford it, right? Virtu is a larger firm, yeah. but it, 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 I don't want to say it pissed me. I guess it pissed me off, right? Because yeah. it was like, what are you doing, right? This is not the mandate that you have or should have as an exchange. Yeah. Make your money, do it the fair way, charge us a fair rate, whatever it is, you know, uh, and I get that you gotta cover your costs and all that kind of stuff, I've talked with exchanges about it, but like to me, that was almost like a jump the shark moment, right? Like, what the heck are they thinking? You know, they, they actually can take the floor, segregate it, and sell it to people that can afford, you know, better floor space than the other guy. That makes yeah. no sense to me. Well, that's what I would think is interesting about your position in this, because uh, you, one might think that if I'm in your position, touching whatever it is, 20% of the, the order flow, you would think that, well, if the cost of admission is high enough, that means other people are going to be harder to uh, be harder to compete. That it actually helps you, but that's that's not the position that you take. Yeah, look, I mean, we're a large firm, and I believe in scale and efficiency, right? That's the virtue way, and that's why we've been successful, right? Mm -hmm. and, but at the end of the day, I believe in fairness, right? And I don't want people to get 
overcharge for something, including myself, right? Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, I'm doing this so Berkeley doesn't have to pay this, right? Yeah, another pair of socks for yeah. parents, <laughs> yeah. by the way. But, well, but I try really hard not to be like, you know, dogmatic about issues, right? Yeah. I just want to, but this yeah. just really was too much. It was the same as, you know, the cable right. that I brought to the hearing, right? There, there are just certain things you can't do in business, right? Especially if you're going to be licensed by the government and you kind of have this unique position, you yeah. know, I don't want to call it a monopoly, but you have this unique right. position. It seems, John, you're a better lawyer than I am, but it just seems inconsistent with the, the well, spirit I, and maybe even the letter of the 34 Act. Well, right? I think it is. And frankly, I think the, the SEC for a long time was not really sure what to do. I think the issue kind of caught them a little bit um, unawares. And so they've had to kind of do uh, a pivot in yeah. terms of their attitude on this stuff. I, I think the exchanges were caught a little unaware too, because I remember back in like the 2005, 2007 range, there was a demand on them to do things faster, to offer a yeah. location. And I remember I used to work in the technology business and a lot of the technologists actually would go to firms like yourselves and think, you know, that maybe fast forward to now, they would think that this satellite was something that you demand. I, I, I remember a funny conversation I had up in the, I guess the CEO's office in NASDAQ back in like 2005 when they were in Connecticut and we were talking about moving into New Jersey for co-location. Yep. I think if you said, not only will that work, not only is the demand for that, but like 10, 15 years from now, you're actually going to be selling microwave networks between your building yeah. to connect your clients to your competitors. They probably would have had me taken away in a straitjacket. Yeah. That seems to be what's happening. I just think uh, they put one foot in front of the other, lifted their head up, and I don't even know if they fully know what it is they're offering or if their clients want it. But I, I think yeah. the SEC panel that you talked on and a few of us talked on the last October with the Wonder Cable. Yeah, I, I just I'm curious if it, you know when it's changed from client demand to now. Some of the clients feel almost like they're not almost they're being forced to buy the faster stuff. Yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, my firm, Virtue, has never been about speed, right? I don't have, again, I'm not talking whether that type of predatory, as people call it, trading is a good thing or a bad thing. It's legal, it's fine, it doesn't bother me, right? Is it an annoyance to Virtue? Sure, we're the market maker getting picked up all the time, right? right? So, but at the end of the day, you know, this is America, it's free markets, let those people do what they do. I don't understand, you know, why we're spending all this money for two microseconds. There's no... It doesn't make the markets any better. Yep. It's kind of against my interest, right? Because I can afford those microseconds. But we're in this silly arms race for which there will be no winner, right? right. Speed is going to ultimately be commoditized. There's 733 miles between, you know, the Chicago data centers and Carteret and Seacocks, roughly, right? Yep. No one's invented an ability to speed up light yet. Right. right? So we've all spent this ungodly amount of money to make sure that we've got the lowest latency well, between those data centers. And there's no, you can, no investors really, really benefited from that at the end of the day. It's fundamentally irrational and you yeah. don't need to, you can you can do very well in a rational marketplace. All we want at Virtue is determinism. Okay. A lack of determinism is the worst thing for a market maker. That's a fancy way of saying, if I know that I can place my quotes and get a response in basically the same amount of time and I can, and I can cancel them and I can post them again, the thing that screws us up is when there's latencies that are unknown or yeah. or or there's you know you gotta you gotta attach yourself to a hundred different gateways because some gateways are faster than the others yeah that's what exchanges should be focused right. on the participants determinism and then let them either let them then compete on that basis because they've got a better fair value model or because they have customers that trust them whatever it is but make the playing field 100 percent level we're not looking for a hooker advantage in fact i don't want any of those things i saw an article this week 
I'm not sure if you saw it, but uh, I was out over in London and they were having like uh, mass de demonstrations on the environment. Yeah. And then I read an article on with the melting ice caps is leading the way yeah. for fiber optic companies to lay faster routes between Europe and Asia. I did see that piece. It's completely bananas, right? It is bananas. I looked at that and I said, you know, here we go again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? I had, I've had people in my office. I think it's called, I'm not a physics guy, I'm a liberal yeah. arts guy, but like a neutrino where you go yes. through the earth. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've had people pitch me on those. I've had pitch, people pitch me on lasers. I've had a, uh, let's have like fixed dirigibles, like big balloons between New York and Chicago. Yeah. I actually sold a dirigible company once in my prior life, so I know what a dirigible is. They have good military applications, but um, they move around too much. There's too much jitter um, for for wireless path. So there's a whole yeah. cottage industry of yeah. physicists and engineers that are candidly wasting their time not solving real world problems, trying to shave nanoseconds and microseconds. Yeah, like and like Austin Powers, there's lasers on the heads of sharks. You know, yes. trying to do that. Uh, yeah. Yes. So this stuff ultimately is kind of a waste that. of time. You know, if I could rule the world and wave a magic wand and say everybody gets an equal path and this is what you pay, that'd be a good thing for Berkeley. But I don't rule the world. So, so the hard, the hard question then is, what's kind of like the path forward? I think this issue is not going to go away. People are not. Nobody except for the exchanges thinks things are okay um, as there are. Is it, uh, is, is it just a question of trying to make sure that the SEC puts some kind of reasonable guardrails around this? Is there a way of creating some kind of competition um, for prop data or aggregate yeah, I mean, data? Look, I'm not a big believer in government solving problems, right? I'm a free market guy. I think we've gotten into a lot of these issues because, and you know this better than me, John, but in 2005 with Reagan MS, you know, they were trying to solve an industry problem and there was a lot of unintended consequences, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So one of the reasons we're having this discussion is because of that. So I don't think the government intervention is the right solution. I think the right answer would be if uh, the exchanges said, here's a poll that's on our property, right? Everybody mm -hmm. can attach, you know, and here's, you know, 37 different slots. Everybody attach their gear equally and charge a fair price for that. Be yeah. transparent. What does it cost you, right? Mark it up reasonably and yeah. then charge us for it. That's fine. Right. I'm not. A, I'm not about not paying them for a service. What I'm about is, I, I think that the, that the those services are part of the totality of what an exchange is all about, mm -hmm. and similar to market data and connectivity, right? And so, therefore, I think if you're going to be licensed as a national securities exchange, you need to be what's the language of the statute? Fair and reasonable. Fair and reasonable. Fair and reasonable. Uh, Thank you, John. Equitable, non-discriminatory. Right. right. That's why this whole thing started. I used to be a lawyer, and I got annoyed about this. I talked to exchanges about it, I got nowhere, and so I actually read the 34 Act. I did a little, I shepherdized and all those things that I used to do as a lawyer, and I said, you know what, they're, they're wrong, right? The way that this has been handled is just wrong. And that's when I went on my little bit of Don Quixote-like uh, quest. Well, I don't no. know who Sancho was, but yeah. I, I didn't have a Sancho, I would have invited you guys along. And to my point, though, wouldn't you say as a disinterested observer that that kind of legal background and experience should justify an increase in compensation? It does. Can I be serious for a second? People oh, yeah. actually yeah. ask me about that. Being a lawyer, actually, it's a great training to be CEO. You have to be a certain kind of lawyer. Mm -hmm. But like being a lawyer has helped me with invert to traumatic. Can, you, can I take the socks I gave you and give them to John? <laughs> Put it in his mouth. Okay. Now piss off, John. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Great ending, guys. <laughs> I don't think I've had more fun talking to two lawyers in a long time. Yeah. So, Doug, we, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Cheers, mates.
Hey, this is Ronan Ryan, co-founder of IEX, and we hope you're enjoying listening to our podcast series, Boxes and Lines. If you do, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, any feedback at all is welcome. And any suggestions for guests we might have on or topics we might want to cover, please feel free. Thank you. Until next time. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.